And welcome back, people, to Calling All Beings. I'm your host, DJ San Marco, here on a Thursday night with my vacationing co-host is back. The man you know, the man that you're going to see his pretty face for the first time. <laughs> Party people, put your hands together for Nathan, a waif soul. What's up, everybody? Man, it is good to have you back, Nathan. Uh, my sounding board was gone, so I would make a sound, but it wouldn't come back. It's like yelling <laughs> into a cave and there's no echo. It's terrible. Uh, we'll get there. <laughs> but, but, you know, what I want to say is it, one of the cool things about UFO Twitter is that you meet, and, and my friend that's about to join us here in a second, our special guest, um, you meet these interesting people and you have conversations. And I don't know that there are other sections of Twitter that are necessarily like that. And uh, so I met uh, Lampy talking about Anjali because she posted a whole bunch of uh, basically, uh, I, I think it was a transcript of something. I'm going to get her to remind me because now mm -hmm. I forgot, but we ended up having a great conversation. And so I said, you know what? I'd really like to have you on tonight and talk. So party people. Put your hands together yes. for Lampy one nine four seven. Hello. Um. Yeah. The the thread I made was basically just like um a compilation of all the links that you'd need to get caught up on the drama because by then there was a lot of it and there mm -hmm. has only been more since. But new people are coming into UFO Twitter every day and even people who are regulars like aren't on constantly. So things move fast and people really need a way to catch up on everything. Absolutely. And it, it, are there cooler glasses on UFO Twitter than what you're wearing <laughs> right now? I don't think there is. I mean, I'm putting out a challenge if anyone thinks they can top these glasses. Let's but go, I, man. Until then, I'm declaring myself a champion. I love it. Natasha Dominguez, check it out. <laughs> Next time you're on the show, you're going to have to up your game, girlfriend. All right. Anyway, um, so, you know, there are a lot of uh, interesting people today. I actually heard somebody who was asking, uh, asking uh, Anjali, uh, if she would go on the Steven somebody show and answer hardball questions. And from reading his tweet, he sounded like a breathless, petulant child. And it's like, oh, you think if she goes on Steven Cassessa's show, the hardball tough guy, do you think she's going to answer something different than what she answered? What's he going to ask her that she's going to say differently? What is he going to say? Hey, I don't I don't believe you. You're a liar. Like, what is he going to say? That's what, right? So talk yeah. to me. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I know that a lot of people are getting, like, there's always been skepticism of Anjali, but I feel like it's just only been ramping up since about a week after the press conference because people are wanting to know when she's going out to the desert and who the team is going to be. And um so I understand the frustration, but you're right. People can be a little bit mean about it. Like yeah. I, I gave a very respectful response and that guy like blocked me or something. And it's like, mm -hmm. I just I said, look, you know, you're going to know. And she'll, she, she'll uh, broadcast it uh, af probably after the fact, you're not going to know that she's going when she's going, mm -hmm. she's going to tell the appropriate people she's going to mm -hmm. go. And then when she comes back, she'll report her findings. What would be the mm -hmm. point? of them telling people ahead of time so that you can have people out on the road with binoculars and it'd be nuts. 
Yeah, um, well, I know that she did say that she was going to do a poll on UFO Twitter where we could nominate someone to go, which I don't know if she's still going to do that, but I hope she does because I'm very interested <laughs> to see who would get picked. Me, 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 me. <laughs> could be a free for all. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I think she definitely needs. I mean, she needs it honestly. And we can get into this. Uh, I think we could actually get into that discussion later. The first thing I really wanted to ask you, Lampy, and I've scripted out all these questions, which is to say one, um, <laughs> is what made <laughs> Nathan loves it because he he studied for class. You know, I'm extemporaneous, you know, when I do this. Um, so what made you go to the Anjali press conference in the first place? What drew you to that particular event? So I was kind of late to the Anjali party. Like um, a lot of people have been following her on Twitter and on Reddit since she first appeared back in March, 2021. But I didn't hear about her until like the end of July because um, actually one of the skeptical accounts that I follow retweeted her announcement of the press conference and was like, is there anyone in the DC area who's going to cover this? And I was like, I'm in the DC area. I could go, that that sounds cool. Like mm -hmm. at that point I didn't have any opinions on her. And like, I, I went and read her first Reddit post, but I hadn't gone very deep down the rabbit hole. I just thought I was in the area. It's gonna be a nice August day. Um, whether she's telling the truth or whether she's starting a cult or what, whether this is a psyop, like whatever's going on, it's not going to be boring. So like, mm -hmm. why not? Um, so I went down there and um, it ended up that um, she did end up posting her live stream eventually, but at the time she was a little late getting that started. So a lot of people were really eager to see what was going on and started following the thread I made after getting there. So that was very exciting. Um, and yeah, yeah. 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 That's how I, I, I had heard of, uh, I had heard her name and heard something tangentially about the story, but I didn't really know, uh, anything. I, I hadn't in, uh, delved into it whatsoever until after reading your posts. So that was my entryway into the phenomenon that has become Anjali about the phenomenon, <laughs> the phenomenon of the phenomenon. And then, uh, and then I, you know, I, I found her to be a very credible person. Uh, and you know, I, you know what, I'm going to let, I'm going to let Nathan have it now. I mean, I, I find like, I feel like you're, you know, you're holding a healthy bit of skepticism here is, uh, am I right? Yeah. I, okay. I, I think that that's fair. Okay. Nathan, Go for it. Yeah. Brother. All right. Yeah. So mm, where to begin? All right. So I think uh, what I'm interested in is uh, where this story intersects with the UFO Twitter verse, uh, you know, mm -hmm. broadly. Right. So uh, I, I know you've been kind of following along uh, in mm -hmm. UFO Twitter uh, since I think last year. That's what it looked like you joined uh, mm -hmm. Twitter based on your profile. Mm -hmm. Um and, you know, I'm curious kind of what what caused you to, to kind of jump into that space? Uh, you know, if you don't mind me asking, was was this kind of your first Twitter account, second Twitter account? And I'm asking because it wasn't my first Twitter account that I dedicated mm -hmm. to UFO Twitter. So curious kind of what got you into the space and uh, what kept you coming back uh, to the UFO Twitterverse? Yeah, so um, it wasn't my first Twitter account, period, but it was my first UFO Twitter account. Um, Basically, I started getting back into UFOs uh, 
late 2019, early 2020. Like I was very interested in UFOs and aliens when I was a kid and then just sort of got away from it as I got older. And then a couple of years ago, I had, I'd, I just finished up my studies. I'd gotten a job. I moved to a new apartment and I'd sort of like hit all of the adulting milestones and was now like, okay, what, what do I want to do for fun again? And <laughs> so, uh, I started like sort of rediscovering what my goals were. And one of them was that I wanted to write a novel. And nice. then I was like, well, what am I going to write my novel about? I'll have about aliens. You used to like aliens. So, so yeah, I started writing this novel in 2019. And at the same time, I started sort of getting back into reading about UFOs and aliens and alien abductions. And as part of that, I discovered UFO Twitter. And when I first made my account back in October 2020, it was solely for like lurking purposes. Like I did not have any intention of engaging with anybody or tweeting because um, I had a very negative opinion of Twitter and the drama that mm -hmm. ensues there. So my mm -hmm. only goal was I'm going to follow some people. Um, I can turn scrolling through social media into something semi-productive. And that's going to be that. That's why my um, display name is very unoriginal. That's why my username is just like a cartoon character um, from the Brave Little Toaster plus the Year of the Roswell Abduction. <laughs> like, because I did not think that this was going to be a real Twitter account. Um, mm -hmm. So I started following people and uh, on UFO Twitter, as you know, there's a very big culture of following back. So I started getting followers, even though I was not posting anything. And mm -hmm. uh, around the point that my UFO Twitter account started having more followers than my real Twitter account, even though I had literally never said anything, I started <laughs> to... <laughs> I started to engage a little more and it just became very fun. I met really neat people. I I thought that the discussions were very interesting and I've just sort of gotten deeper and deeper into it over the past year. That's awesome. Yeah, and I feel like that's a pro probably a pretty common experience uh, mm -hmm. in terms of folks that, that take that path and then they kind of take another step, another step, and all, all of a sudden they find themselves in this village of people <laughs> that they kind of like hanging out with. And that that's certainly been my experience as well. Um, you know, for all of the kind of follows that you have in, in, in UFO Twitter, um, you know, how would you describe that the spectrum that that you followed you try to follow a broad spectrum of uh, of folks in this space do you try to follow folks that kind of lean more toward the nuts and bolts side or more toward the experiencer side or you know other aspects you know what what, what kind of uh, population do you do you keep i try to follow a, di a diverse number of accounts i follow some people who are more nuts and bolts i follow people who are more on sort of the spiritual side um, i follow people who just are sort of hanging out and seem like neat people um, i follow skeptics i follow basically everyone my only real criteria is like if the posts if if the things they tweet look interesting and if they don't seem like a massive jerk um mm -hmm. then that's that's pretty much my only criteria for who i will follow Lampy, nice. would I be more in the category of nuts or bolts <laughs> as far as you're concerned? <laughs> Do you really want me to answer that? <laughs> probably not. Probably not. Let's let's table that one for later, okay? <laughs> yeah. So, well, I, that, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I mean, I, I'm just trying to figure out what is the area. I think another way of phrasing Nathan's 
question is, is there something that's more fascinating aspect of this more so than the other? And that may be what you're going to write about in your book, or it may be, uh, well, I would assume it would have to be what you're writing about in your book, the aspect of it, <laughs> what aspect is most interesting. Um, yeah. So when I came in, like I was pretty much exclusively focused on um, the extraterrestrial hypothesis and aliens, specifically alien abductions, because that's that's what's in my book. And I think I just aliens, I think, are neat. And that that it's not terribly intellectual of me to say, but that's that's <laughs> it. A, a, aliens are cool. So yeah. I wanted to look up stuff related to aliens. But I think that having been in this space for the past year has made me sort of more open to and interested in alternative hypotheses about the phenomenon and just sort of different aspects of this subject. So yeah, it's been an interesting experience. So the the whole aspect of the ocean and the fact mm -hmm. that uh, there's, you know, at least some evidence that, uh, that maybe they're already here or were here before mm -hmm. us and or are revealing themselves now due to things they see happening in the natural environment, uh, geopolitically, perhaps with nukes. Um, do you, is that what changed your mind? Um, I don't know if it's that specifically. I think more what has changed my mind is sort of seeing people talk about like the theory that um, sort of the phenomenon we're seeing now is the same as what has been behind like various weird stuff that we have seen throughout history and that just sort of the explanations we come up for it are different depending on our culture but um but i do find that the um the stuff of the uso stuff interesting um yeah i mean that blew my mind like i i did not have in my mind ever until I don't know, like Lou mm -hmm. Elizondo started talking about it. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. These things are coming out of the water. And then Dave Fravor recounted that uh, one of the Navy divers that was grabbing up a torpedo and trying to mm -hmm. pull it up with a helicopter had seen something. Um, so that really blew my mind because I had never thought I had always thought in terms of extraterrestrial coming from other planets. And now there's some evidence that that's not the case. So we have to look at mm -hmm. that. There's both. And, and then, you know, Anjali also talking about the fact that there's uh, some beings that are quite uh, looking to be friendly toward us, looking to help us transcend. And those four mm -hmm. she was talking about that aren't friendly. Mm -hmm. You remember hearing about mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do remember that. Um, kind of surprised that there isn't more talk about that, actually. Seems like might be important if that's <laughs> something that's going on. Um, you think? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, we, I find that at least in the folks that I follow, the focus generally is more on the positive aspects mm -hmm. of it. You know, that there is more of the hopeful, um, you know, kind of salvific quality that, that UFOs represent, uh, mm -hmm. to people. And yeah, it may not be all that great <laughs> if, uh, if we really look at every different aspect of it. And I find that that voice tends to kind of get drowned out a little bit too. There are folks who do bring it up, uh, mm -hmm. but they seem to get uh, outnumbered quite a bit from the, uh, the love and light crowd, if you will. Well, yeah. but if, if, if we're objective about it, even Anjali who would count herself among that also mm -hmm. said they told mm -hmm. her there are ones that are not friendly. So there's mm -hmm. a person who is spreading as much love and light, as possible, this coming from yoga teacher, 
<laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, you know, is also saying that there are beings that she was told that are not friendly. So if people don't want to buy that and they believe her, but then they don't want to take, they want to just like excise that sliver of it out. I mean, mm-hmm. we, I, to be honest, you know, I, I get, you know, you, you, you hate, you know, I don't want this podcast to be like a continuous refrain of Luis Elizondo mm-hmm. and Anjali, although it probably will be, <laughs> but, but I like, <laughs> but I like that Luis is very measured when he, Oh, look at that. Now that's class right there. Girlfriend, <laughs> Man, put the camera back. No, I'm just kidding. Doing it right. <laughs> I'm kind of jealous right now. Okay. I am jealous right now too. I just had getting yeah. over a stomach problem. Yeah. Cocktails. Yeah. No, this is my first uh, live podcast recording. So I need an excuse if I say something stupid. There you Absolutely. go. Hey, you know what? It, I've been doing it for <laughs> since 2010. I've been saying things stupid on air, and it, I'm still here. Um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I liked it. Luis says all things. You know, you have to say this is not an existential threat. But if you say it, it, it can't be because mm-hmm. they have the power to destroy us. Then I, I'm sorry. I would have to disagree with those people. I'm a love and light person. I do believe mm-hmm. in what Anjali said about transcension, uh, and being better humans to one another and finding a better way to communicate than what we currently use, which by the way, has devolved from this type of communication, uh, vo- to text. There are people that mm-hmm. don't even want to talk to you now. They just want to text you. If you try to call them, they won't answer. <laughs> so uh seriously that's a that's a de- that's a devolution of communication not an expansion or broadening or transcending of of our of our communication as humans in my mind mm-hmm. so if you but you have to leave open the possibility and by the way uh somebody who who espouses that opinion said it for for as much mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah like i am i definitely think that asking like are the beings friendly or not is the wrong question because like what if they asked us are humans friendly or not like how would you even answer that and we're just one species so like i don't think it makes sense to think that if they're aliens all of them are going to be one thing or the other completely is is there a an abduction or a contact narrative from someone that resonates with you the most or is there a couple of those um, well, I've always found the aerial school incident absolutely fascinating just because of just the sheer number of people who were there and who have maintained the story as they grew up and years later. Um, I'm really excited for the, um, I think it's James Fox who's making a documentary about it. And mm-hmm. um, the Phenomena documentary was fantastic. And I'm really excited about this one. I think that a lot of people don't know about this incident because I certainly didn't know about it until I started getting into this subject more and more. So I think that once it's mainstream, it's going to get a lot of attention. Right. Yeah, I think that um, that aerial school uh, piece from his movie, the phenomenon that 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 segment mm-hmm. is really what probably humanized the, the topic the most. And and mm-hmm. really for folks that were a little bit on the fence on it, that one story, maybe even more so than the Nimitz, is the one that really kind of grabs you and pulls you in because of mm-hmm. how personal the that that testimony is from those kids and mm-hmm. how dynamic that was. So I think that that's like a there are some of these sort of gateway cases, right? That uh, really 
are very compelling and that, that draw you in and maybe draw you in for di different reasons. Uh, so Nimitz is a great example. Ariel is a great example. Um, and then we have the, uh, the experiencer cases, the abduction cases. And I know you did a thread on Travis Walton. Mm -hmm. uh, love for you to talk about that a little bit. And, and two, I think I want you to, to touch on, if you wouldn't mind, like as a writer, you know, is uh, is your approach to Twitter and some of these great threads that you've compiled, is that a drive that you have because because of the kind of fragmentary nature of, the, of Twitter itself to kind of bring this stuff together and, and make it a little bit more coherent? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely it. Because like, cause like I said, news moves very quickly on Twitter and I have definitely, I am someone who has to know what's going on. Like curiosity will drive me insane. And so <laughs> I absolutely hate when I see a subtweet and I have to spend the next three hours like searching every <laughs> keyword I can think of, like asking my friends, just like being the Twitter FBI, just so that I can find out what the gossip is. So anytime mm -hmm. that I am in a position where I see people asking about something and I know what's going on and it's something that's like, newsworthy enough that I don't feel like a gossip rag making a thread about it, then I, I'd want to do that. I think that it's, it's fun for me and I hope that it satisfies people's curiosity and saves them time. Um. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, well, your, your threads are super helpful. I mean, and I find that yeah. for everybody that spends people that, that spend the time to compile all of this disparate information into, into a format that people can digest as opposed to, like you said, kind of going through the forest of breadcrumbs that are out there mm -hmm. and trying to make sense of it all. I mean, it's a it's a public service, quite frankly. So, you know, thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing yeah, that. It's it's also been really nice to like have sort of found a way that I can add to UFO Twitter and contribute something because like I'm not a researcher. I'm not a scientist. Like I I some of the stuff that people talk about, like makes my brain melt like if like you could ask me now like what the hell's going on with TTSA and I was like <laughs> I don't know there's Lou and there's Tom DeLong and like the government's involved somehow uh, <laughs> but 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 when there are things that I can write something about that might help then it makes me feel like I am I am here for a reason absolutely yeah, like me countering Mick West has turned into like a cottage industry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I forgot how many rounds we were on with that, like round five, six, you know, we keep oh, going. Oh, man. I've got, my, I've, I've got so much. I just have to have the proper platform. And it's like I would invite him on here, but I think it would be rude to invite him on here and then insult him. And <laughs> that's, just, but, and it would, he would, people would take it as an insult, but I want to just say that, you know, that term when someone says with all due respect, and then they uh -huh. insult you, but in the truest sense of the word with mm -hmm. all due respect right. to you, mm -hmm. this is what I think. And depending upon how you respect others is the mm -hmm. way that I'm going to respect you. So if, Mick is talking about fighter pilots don't know what they're doing, don't know what they're looking at. Um, I don't think this person flew the airplane correctly. I don't think they operate their sensor correctly. And I know from aviation background what it takes to do that. And I know I'm not even on the level of these guys. And then some guy who made video games is doing that. Then I think he's not giving them the respect they're due. So mm -hmm. if I say Mick with all due respect, I mean that 
in the help me phrase this, Nathan. I mean that in <laughs> the most honest sense of of that phrase. Very sincere. Directly. Very yeah. yeah, the sincerest. I I do mean that. If you're disrespecting them, I'm gonna and I know what your credentials are, I'm gonna call those into question. But I'll I'll save the Mick West rant for later. <laughs> um, I do like like to be charitable. Like I do think that Mick West tends to come across better when he's either quoted in a long form article or when he appears on podcasts. Like I really do think that when you are on Twitter and when you are like saying the first thing that comes to mind in less than two forty characters, like mm -hmm. you are not your best self, and you are probably actually your worst self. So, right. okay. But when you, when you say that you're viewing that through the prism of somebody who doesn't know aviation. Right. So if he says something and he's really smart, like if you're going to say who's smarter, Mick West or DJ, Mick West is going to be up here <laughs> and I'm going to be down here. But with 4,000 hours of military flying, then DJ is going to be up here and Mick West is going to be down here. Mm -hmm. Okay. When, when we're talking about evaluating, well, first mm -hmm. of all, I know enough. Like if you said to me, DJ, what did you think about what Chad Underwood or Dave Fravor or Alex Dietrich did? I'm going to say, I don't know because I, I wasn't trained in their mission set. I didn't go through the thousands of hours of tactics, ground training, flight training, past check rides, become an instructor, become an evaluator, go through top gun, all the things that they did. You have no idea what it takes to do that, right? So, but I do. Mm -hmm. I, have, I And so when somebody like Mick West, the lay person goes, wow, he's, you know, he sounds pretty reasonable. Yes, because you don't know what it took to do what <laughs> they did. But they know that he's a buffoon and that's why they they don't come on air with him. You know, Dietrich went on and was very charitable and very friendly with him. And Chris Leto was too. Uh, Dave Fravor won't be. <laughs> the guy who does the fighter pilot podcast on Apple, Vincent uh, Jello Aello, I guarantee you he's not going to be, and I wouldn't be, because I'm going to say you are not qualified to critique that person's flying. Mm -hmm. yeah. None, no, no qualifications. So that's the respect that you're due for saying that. And there are people out there like Lampy who goes, oh well, you know, gee, he sounds like he's pretty thoughtful and reasonable. Yes, but meanwhile, mm -hmm. he put out a tweet today with his living room sofa saying, I did see I that one. Yeah. Okay. So you're questioning them again when they told you how they identified a white object against a dark blue sea from 20,000 feet. That's what they're trained to do. It's not what I was trained to do. Right. I was trained in tactical low level flying. That's yeah. not what fighter pilots are trained in doing. They're not comfortable at 250 feet. Like I am flying for an hour and a half in the mountains. And I'm not right. comfortable diving it, you know, diving down at the ocean at an object like Fravor did. Right. It's it's a very specific skill. You wouldn't catch. Okay, to give you an example, you hear what Mick said. I couldn't mm -hmm. get a pilot who I flew with to say what he said. You know what that pilot mm -hmm. would say? Those guys are the experts in that, man. That's not my that's not my area. I mean, right. I could I could get you a high time pilot that went to air force weapons school that would say that if we asked them to critique those guys, they would look at it. They'd listen to it. They'd read it. They'd listen to the interview and they'd say, I, they saw what they saw. I can't, but Mick West is okay to say, Oh yeah, those guys, they don't, 
they make mistakes, you know? Right. Well, and it's interesting. I think that in the absence of, of good information, which, you know, you could argue is, is a good portion of UFO Twitter, uh, mm. there's, there's a, a vacuum of information of quality data that mm. allows for tremendous amounts of speculation. And where I think, uh, you know, I know, know you have your specific beefs. My specific beefs with him are the way that he takes that very little amount of information and then extrapolates mm -hmm. out from that very large speculative conclusions. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I have issues with conclusions off of, off of very little data. Uh, but I have that same beef with a lot of folks in UFO mm -hmm. Twitter that will take a tiny little thing and say, well, I mean, it must be X, Y, Z. Uh, I think that, that that's a little disingenuous mm -hmm. um, to, to, to make that leap. But uh, Lampy, I mean, what, what do you think about that? I think I'm pretty much with you on this. Like, I, I agree that McQuest seems to sort of be in the habit of thinking up an alternate explanation and sort of putting it forth, even if it's not based on very much, because he just sees it as inherently a better explanation than aliens but mm -hmm. i think that but i also like don't think that he's like the enemy or a terrible person because of this because no. like i think people judge him more harshly because he's on the skeptical side when like you said a lot of people speculate on ufo twitter and on when it comes to twitter we all have bad takes sometimes like i've had bad takes a lot of my friends have like we all tweet stuff that isn't super well thought out and we're all wrong about things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not an important part of the community. That's right. And we're not on CNN doing it uh, though. Right. I want to say for the record, I want to, I want to get this actually on air. I don't mm -hmm. dislike Mick West. I don't not mm -hmm. respect him. I'm happy. Mm -hmm. He's part of the community. I don't, there are two things. I think, first of all, uh, so I'm happy that he does debunk things because people mm -hmm. will put out a UFO video that he mm -hmm. is able to then find is fake. And mm -hmm. that is a huge service to us. He's also, apparently, I don't really follow his work, but he's done that with QAnon and other mm -hmm. uh, anti-vax and other conspiracy theories. So mm -hmm. I really, I really thank Mick West. Namaste for doing stuff like that. I really appreciate that. And I think it's of service to the community. What I have a problem with is I think if you start at the beginning, there's an intellectual dishonesty in the way that he approaches it because mm -hmm. he comes out and says on camera, mm -hmm. hey, I just want to learn. I just want the data. Mm -hmm. But he approaches the subject from, OK, everybody thinks it's this. And mm -hmm. so I'm going to try to prove that it's not that. So mm -hmm. that's not intellectually. That's not me trying to learn. If you mm -hmm. have a Luis Elizondo on your show, and I actually have talking points about this where he asked Luis, you know, with the gimbal, you know, I think it's this glad, it's the glad, glad, he's saying glad over and over. He's saying we had electro, you know, we bring in electrical optical engineers. We brought in aerospace engineers. We brought in pilots. We reviewed stuff. And by the way, Mick, we have more than what you've seen. Mm -hmm. We have other sensor data and other things. And we don't agree with your hypothesis, to which he says, yes, yes, yes. Okay, so let's talk about the Chilean Air Force. So that <laughs> right there, I'm not, I'm not kidding. He digresses to irrelevancies. So he's intellectually dishonest from the way he approaches it, which he says, I'm trying to learn. No, you're not trying to learn. 
you are trying to find one aspect of this, which is what uh, Lampy was alluding to, that and and actually Nathan, you also alluded to it. That mm -hmm. one string. We want to talk about the angle and the range because if they didn't get the range right or they didn't get the size of it right, then maybe we can dismiss the Princeton radar footage, the E2 radar footage, the testimony from all of them, plus the pilots. And then, yeah, everything's in question at this point. So yeah. that, that, and when he said to Lou also about the Tic Tac and Lou came and said, yes, we looked at this. We didn't use single source on this. There's other data that you haven't seen that we did see. Mm -hmm. He still won't say now somebody who's interested in learning say, oh, wow, that's really interesting, Lou. I should rethink this. You know, I mean, if you've seen things that I haven't seen and you're privy to information, I'm not. And the pilot and it, it jibes with what the pilots testify. I might have to change. He's not ever going to say that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So to me, he's starting from an, a dishonest place because he's not trying to learn. He's trying to say, how can I prove it's not what all these people think it is? So I can mm -hmm. be the smart one. And people who are lay lay people actually you know, we'll say, Hey, he seems pretty reasonable. You thought that, but it's, it's not when you call into question people that we paid to do this, we paid, you paid to teach Alex Dietrich how to do this. And I'm telling you how not easy it is. And I know, I know Nick has flown a Cessna. I've also I'm licensed to fly Cessna. Let me tell you <laughs> how much more difficult it is to fly one of these aircraft with G's with a G suit, when you have someone that straps you in at, uh, and pulls on those straps like the damn space shuttle, and mm -hmm. then uh, and then you have that sensor camera on your head, you know they have that helmet-mounted queuing system, all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's he doesn't understand what he's looking at, and he yeah. doesn't know that he doesn't understand it. But people who are lay folks think mm -hmm. that he knows because he went and read a manual about the camera. Right. So he's trying to start from the end. I'm going to be an analyze first, but I haven't gone through the hard part. The hard mm -hmm. part is getting through flight school and even getting selected to fly a fighter. Then yeah. after you get to fly in order to critique others, you have to become an instructor and, and your, your records go up in front of a board and they nominate you as an instructor. Once you're an instructor, now I could critique Lampy's flying before <laughs> that she flies. I fly. <laughs> I don't tell her how to do her business. Because right. I'm not an instructor. If she gets to be an instructor before me, hey, DJ, I didn't like what you did in today's exercise. <laughs> Tell me why. And you sit down, debrief me. Then there's flight examiner. And a flight examiner will decide if you fly, which means on any day, Lampy can come and pat me on the shoulder and squat and go, DJ, guess what? We're doing a no-notice check ride today. So um, we're going to give you a briefing. Going to look at these are the parameters. This is what I'm going to be looking at. Good luck. So now I know that she's going to be looking over my shoulder for the entire flight and writing down anything she sees. There's a, I can't tell you guys how much pressure there is when that happens. Mm. It's an enormous amount of pressure. Just okay, and that's what a flight examiner does. So now, now if I don't do well, you could say, DJ, you're going to have to sit down for a while. We're going to do some training, and we'll try to get you back up. But for now, you're grounded. That's yeah. happened. Okay. Right. Oh I mean, yeah. Right. Okay. Well, that I, happened. I, I, and I think what you're highlighting, and I mean, every time that you go down this path, like, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like, it's there's so much more to the training that people get than I think most realize. And mm -hmm. when you 
describe it like this and contextualize it for folks, I think it adds uh, a, many layers of depth mm -hmm. to these testimonies that come from these pilots. You know, it, it, it for me, at least for me, it does. And it, and it increases my level of trust in those testimonies. And I think, like Lampy, what I'd like for you to talk about, uh, you know, in, in your observation of this of the landscape, really is that this issue of trust, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, because we're hitting on it, we're we're kind of dancing around it, but that it really is a big part of what we choose to uh, like or not like, follow or not follow, is the credibility of the mm -hmm. story, the witness, whatever it is. So. You know, walk us through a little bit in your journey anyway, and when you're in Twitter and kind of navigating things and looking at these kinds of stories, you know, what increases your level of trust in a story and what kind of, you know, uh, is a red flag for you to like walk away from, from that particular account? When she yeah. sees me post, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So when I, when I look at stories on UFO Twitter, I think that, First of all, for a long time, I wasn't even looking at it that way. Because like I said, I originally came to this looking for sort of inspiration for a, a novel I was writing. And so like, mm -hmm. from at that point, I didn't really care if stories were true. I just was looking right. for things that were interesting. But um, now that I'm looking at it more from a more discerning point of view, I think that I tend to look at the source of the link. And if it's a site that I recognize, um, either it's a mainstream outlet or it's run by someone who has been recognized by the community, then it's something I'm more likely to trust than if it's by some site I've never heard of that crashes 50 bazillion times when I try to open it on my phone. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, um, there are people that I have interacted with for almost a year now that I just trust more on a personal level, which isn't necessarily like something that I would swear to in court as a reason to trust someone, but <laughs> it does. But I think that building relationships with people does like make them make you trust them more. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I do tend to look at the details and of stories and see if they add up to me based on what I know, like it isn't super often that I have expertise that is relevant in this field, but um, it occasionally happens. Um, yeah. And and uh, yeah, it's and then I also look at sort of whether this story has been told other times and compare notes on whether it's consistent and how which parts of it are consistent because you expect there to be some minor inconsistencies in stories that are told repeatedly over the course of years. Like people's memories are imperfect, like very minor details can be remembered differently on different retellings because they say that when you, when you recall a memory, you aren't actually recalling the memory of the event, you're recalling the mm. memory of the last time you remembered it. So, uh, wow. Um, yeah, but there are some, but if there are major inconsistencies on like events that are key to the narrative or, or if the narrative seems to change in a way that benefits the teller or seems to make their role bigger than it was in the original tellings, that can be to me a sign that maybe the truth is being stretched. Um, and then, of course, like I said, I try to 
follow more skeptical minded people so I can see alternate views on the events. Like I don't assume that just because someone is posting a debunking means that they're automatically right. Because like you said, like people who are on the skeptical side are not immune from cognitive biases. Nobody is. Um, but I do think that seeing that view can help you look at it from a different perspective when you're trying to make your own decisions. Yeah. You know, I went through this with Green Street a little bit. My Twitter friend, Stephen, how are you? I'm sure your hair looks <laughs> great today. But but in analyzing the whole Tucson helicopter thing, which fascinated UFO Twitter for about two weeks or so, and I was trying to, and I was going back and forth with a guy on there, and I'm not sure what it is. I think it's still in question, but just to give you an example, if Stephen Greenstreet, journalist for New York Post, right, uh, the basement office, if he were to hand me a piece of literature and said, DJ, read this, and I read it, and I say, okay, that's pretty ordinary. I mean, I think anybody could have written that, and he, DJ, this is a phenomenal piece of writing. You, like, you don't know what you're looking at, man. And I'd be like, okay, well, you know, maybe I don't. I mean, I don't really have any courses in journalism. I have basic college writing, <laughs> uh, you know, at my apex. So, yeah, maybe I don't. So, by contrast, we can listen to a narrative of drones and helicopters interacting in Tucson. And I say, that's Stephen. That's he could say, oh, well, that's pretty ordinary what it did. And I go, dude, do you understand, like, how difficult it is to perform those maneuvers that that thing did you don't know what you're looking at so you see if it right. comes to writing steven's gonna be like dude this is a this is a brilliant piece of writing right or if it were luis jimenez this is a a, a wonderful screenplay and you think it's ordinary well i'm gonna say the same thing when i hear about a drone that's sitting at ten thousand something a some kind of craft that we don't know it is sitting at 10,000 feet. And they said it zooms straight up to 13,000 feet. I know what it takes to do that. Exactly. <laughs> and the fact that they can't see it on an IR camera really mm -hmm. freaks me out. And they said it was a hundred feet off the wingtip. So what your training and what your expertise is, some of my expertise happens to fall in some of these but if you start talking about something like what happened with Anjali or Travis Walton, mm -hmm. I have no, ex my expertise is nothing. I have none. Mm -hmm. It's the same as right. anybody else. But if we're talking something aviation specific, now mm -hmm. I can, I, I can raise my voice. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there are many, many aspects of ufology. In fact, when I see a UFO video, I know nothing. I would ask mm -hmm. Mick West, is this real? Because I, mm -hmm. to me, this looks like a real UFO video and he could look at it and go, dude, that's obviously faked. Look, mm -hmm. you can see here. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So we I, all have an area, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't spend a lot of time watching UFO videos for that reason. Like I have no idea if this is real <laughs> or not. I don't know anything about aviation or about CGI or like anything that would allow me to determine if this is real based on looking at the video. So. Right. <laughs> Right. It's yeah. just, you know, there are different areas of expertise mm -hmm. and sometimes some, in some cases, none of us have an, an expertise in what we're talking about at all. Then at that point, it's just thoughtful analysis. Mm -hmm. Right. Like totally. Well, I, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> love, love you back, bro. So, yeah, I mean, but I think like what we're touching on is just a, it's a symptom of a larger issue that we're having you know, globally. Right. And that, and, and that that's this issue of trust of credibility 
of um, you know sort of the lack of of faith in institutions that we may have had in the past. That, that mm-hmm. all of these things that have been uh, sort of normal, the reliance on expertise, you know, the the, the deference mm-hmm. to expertise, all these things are are changing. They're they're eroding in a way. Maybe erosion is not quite the right the right word to use. But the, the the plates are shifting. In other words, the the way that it has worked is not working any longer. You know, yeah, exactly. It's a tectonic change. Awesome. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a tectonic change. I, I gotta pay this guy. Like, there's no way he can be doing this for free. So smart. <laughs> so, so we have this new landscape, right? We have this new landscape that is forming, and we're all a part of it. You know, we're all part of that conversation, and mm-hmm. it's a new way for us to, in a way, almost crowdsource. Uh, credibility or, or trustworthiness or whatnot. Yes. And I think about this problem in the context of a Lou Elizondo or the government in general. So if if the government, if, if we take the position, and I think most in ufology would, that the government knows more about this topic than than the average person does, than, than most of us do. They have more information, more data, what have you. Yet the public is at a place in history where the faith in that institution is... Mm-hmm way lower than it's ever been. So how do you how do you balance the, this out? And I think about what Lou's doing on his like the Lou Roadshow. <laughs> you know, that's what he's basically he's always on. And that guy is working so hard. He's on all the shows and he's mm-hmm. he's he's just getting the word out. And if you think about what you would need to begin restoring credibility in the narrative, you're gonna have to, you know, put in the work you're gonna have to the boots are gonna have to hit the ground and do the walking and and walk a long time and hold a lot of hands and have a lot of conversations to where you get to the place where the community and those that are behind the community because we're for every person you see on ufo twitter who's involved or lurking as you said lampy you know like like, and Mm -hmm. i think all of us relate to that there's a whole host of people behind that person that aren't aware of it or only tangentially aware of it maybe never never Mm -hmm. interested in all but they they're they intersect the orbit of that person who's engaged with ufo twitter so Mm -hmm. if lou and his outreach and others like Chris, like, likely like Chris Mellon, if what they're doing is restoring credibility in the institution of, of the government, of the secret keepers, um, by all of this work that they're doing, and if we extend to them our charity and our trust, then when the secrets begin getting become revealed or are more revealed, then then we have a, we are all in a position at that point to amplify that truth. And say, hey, I know this may sound weird, but we've walked miles with, with this guy and we mm-hmm. trust him now. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, you can trust us because you know us and we trust him. He's so, done an enormous amount of work, too, to bring his knowledge up to all these. He was a biochem major who went into Intel. And man, mm-hmm. he is really his knowledge of aviation is sharp, man. Oh, tremendous. I mean, the guy is clearly a sharp guy. Oh. Um and and I guess so, so Lampy, like you know, as we talk about that, you know, one thing that I noticed, and this happens, it ha- it often happens in the lull periods between you know the news cycles, the breaking sort of things that happen on UFO Twitter. Uh, you know, it's it's like the the community kind of tend to start turning inward, and there's like a circular firing squad that begins to happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like we have this this pent up need for something, when that need isn't satisfied, we take it out on mm-hmm. each other, right? Families do this too. Uh, yeah, like I I don't I'm sure you remember um, UFO Twitter in June, like in the 
two or three weeks leading up to the UAPTF report being released, it was it was a mess. Like people <laughs> were like like. I, like the claws were out. I, there was so much drama. Um, Community so yeah, petulance. I, <laughs> so yeah, I definitely think that when people are restless, then there tends to be more of more drama on UFO Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, and I and I think that yeah, we are in a time where it is difficult to know who to trust. Like, I think trust in the government is low. I think trust in a lot of mainstream media outlets has been low for a while. And like even trust in each other is low because this is a topic where a lot of us um, are anonymous or pseudonymous because mm -hmm. we, because it's still somewhat stigmatized and we don't necessarily want our boss to Google us and find us talking about UFOs. But at the same time, like we know that there are bots and trolls and people on Twitter who are there specifically to divide communities and cause problems for nefarious ends. And so it it's really hard to establish the trust needed to move forward on a subject like this. And that's why I think it's so important to sort of build a lasting community here. And um, yes. and like with Lou Elizondo, like I've noticed that he appears on like the 60 minute special, but he'll also go on podcasts that have a couple thousand subscribers. And mm -hmm. um, so I think that people who are trying to make this topic mainstream are conscious of the fact that they need to not only rely on their status and expertise, but build relationships with people and make it known that they are someone who can be relied on on a personal level. Absolutely. And, and I was going to ask you if to, if you were to give your state of ufology in terms of, I think the government knows this, has that, um, like a, a lot of people in, in terms of programs. So do you think they have craft, don't have craft, have had beings, have never had beings, um, know more than what the UF UAPTF knows doesn't know more where you let's go. I'd like to go around the horn, go you and then Nathan and then, and then I'll go. W what do you think is the, the status of where we're at now in terms of their grasp on this topic? Um, like if going purely by gut feeling, not based on anything reliable, I would guess that they know more than we do, but not, by much. I would not assume that they have bodies or craft. I think that th I, if I were to guess, I would say that the government knows enough that it would be embarrassing to admit they didn't, they don't know more than they do. And I also think that there's a good chance that there is knowledge sort of scattered in bits and pieces among various agencies, like um, different branches of the military might have some information. Um, the task force might have some, um, NASA might have some and mm -hmm. just, but, be, but it hasn't gotten to a point where they've been able to sort of compile everything that's known, especially because since there are so many unknowns with this topic, you might have information that, would help put the puzzle together, but not even know that it's has anything to do with UAPs. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, right. I mean, the Vatican comes to mind, you know, whatever they may have in their treasure trove of, of information uh, through history, right? Uh, stories that may have seemed um, uh, like traditional miracles may in fact be, uh, you know, some Cheers sort of, uh, <laughs> there we go, <laughs> some sort of manifestation of, of whatever this is. But I, I think you're spot on. I think that um, in, in Lou's recent interview, uh, I forget who it was with um, Andy. I don't. Yeah, that, that's right. It was with Andy. You know, that confirmed for me that we don't, we don't know as much as we, as we hope that they know. He doesn't, that the government does not know as much as we hope that they know. I think that they, um, they do know a good bit. I think that they have, um, you know, like you said, compartmentalized information. Um, but th th therein lies the, the, the challenge. And that is like to start kind of compiling it putting it out there and then looking it out, looking at all the pieces that are on the table and saying, well, we have all these pieces. Uh, we don't have the box. We don't know what it looks like, but we've, mm -hmm. we've collected all this stuff. So, okay. Like, I guess we all need to try to put it together. Like, and that, you know, think about how that, how, how challenging that would be to the world that has in, in the 20th century, the modern world has grown accustomed to, state power having uh, sort of answers, you know, that they have the resources, they have the expertise, they know more than average person does about most things. So to put all of this out there on the table and say, you know what, we really don't know. And we now need everyone in, in the world to sort of look at this with us and, and can put it together. I think that is, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine how they would start that task. It sounds really challenging unless, and this is where I, I'm, I think I'm the most curious about is the, the, is the conversation partner that we haven't talked about. And that is whatever they are, whatever this non-human intelligence happens to be, what role do they play in us solving this puzzle? Are they going to be a proactive role in helping us answer these questions? Or are they going to just sort of passively sit back and see if we can put it together on our own? Or, or do we need to reach a certain critical mass of interest uh, to where then this intelligence says, okay, now that they've, that 60% of the world is, you know, interested in this and is open to this concept, this is an okay time for us to, you know, be more actively involved in the truth and revealing whatever it may, may be. I think that this is the journey that we're now on, that we're, we, we've made, we started making the, these steps. The public is now a part of the, the, of this journey in a way that has never been before. And now it's for me, it's like, what is the timeline? You know, how long do we have to walk uh, together and bring other people along with us. It's sort of like Forrest Gump when he takes the run across the country and you know, people start joining him on the run. You know, how many people do we need to get on that run before it starts hitting the news? And it's a real thing. It's a, and it's a movement, right? So I really don't think we're quite at that point yet. I think we're still at a sort of niche, you know, fringe interest. Although, you know, interestingly, every time that the mainstream media picks this up, they get a ton of eyeballs on that. And the New York mm -hmm. Times will tell you, like one of their most wide read articles is still that 2017 article. So, you know, there the interest is there, but maybe we don't mm -hmm. quite have, uh, we're not at the place yet to where we can really have that m mature conversation. <laughs> now hey, I, I want to, br I want to bring Bella over to see Lampy, but Bella, <laughs> Bella is like crashed out over there. It doesn't look like she wants to get up. So, but, um, Okay, my roundup is is uh, as follows. Um, I agree with with both of your points. 
I don't think, obviously, I don't think they know everything. They don't know where these craft are from. I believe, okay, so here's what I think. I believe that based on the evidence shows that there are these UAS craft, there are craft uh, that appear not to go in the water. Uh, there are these very, very large craft that people have seen, particularly where I grew up. So I think the government is aware of all of these sightings and has collected probably pieces of these. I am one. I know just enough about Area 51 or Groom Lake Test Range to know that, and I'm going to counter something I heard on Twitter, they could hide, I, I assure you of this, I'm positive of this. I, I can't tell you what they have there. I can tell you they could hide something there until you die and your kids die. Like that, <laughs> that, that's, I mean, that, that's basically what we're looking at. Cause it's been there since what, 49, 50, something mm -hmm. like that. So, mm -hmm. um, so yes, if they had something that would be the place that you would put it. Uh, and I have a fair degree of confidence that something like that probably exists. If it exists, it exists there. It probably exists. I can't say I'm a hundred percent sure in terms of a uh, contractor having something like Bigelow aerospace or Lockheed Martin. I can also assure you if there was a craft, it would not be in one of those facilities full stop a piece of metal. Sure. A couple of pieces here, a couple of pieces there. You guys examine this. Yes. Something that you could walk somebody by and they'd look at it and they wouldn't know what it is. But mm -hmm. if there is a craft that's anywhere near intact, it is going to be in a facility that nobody can see. And that would be a place like the Groom Lake Test Range, China Lake, Wright Pat, underground places, things like that. Uh, particularly, uh, it's well-traveled at, uh, at Wright Pat, but at a place like Groom Lake, you can't, even, you can't even overfly it. Like you can't fly over top of that range. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you know, if you're yeah. an airliner, yeah. So, so I, I agree with you guys. I don't think they know everything at all. I don't think they know where these things are from. I don't think they've been successful in back, back engineering any significant part of them that would lead to something that looks like Tic Tac, because if that's the case, then, you know, I've been involved in acquisition and we're buying airplanes that are nowhere near what Tic Tac is. Right. So, uh, I don't yeah. know why we would be doing that if we could be buying something that will performs like Tic Tac. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> totally. So so anyway, let's go back to uh, Anjali, my friend. Let's go back to the you know people don't want to see this, so you got to take the camera off there, Nathan. Um, <laughs> so, um, so Lampy, let's go through this chronologically. Um, if you go through this story from the beginning. Tell me what resonates with you, what you have questions about. I don't know if you want to start at the hospital room or back at the apartment that uh, she was uh, in as a contractor with her daughter. And and by the way, I haven't even seen, I don't know her daughter's Twitter, so I haven't seen anything about what she has to say whatsoever. I'll have to talk to you about that offline. But Well, first of all, I didn't realize her daughter had a Twitter, so that is very interesting information. Um, if that gets revealed, I will definitely have to look into that. Um, okay. But yeah, um, I think Anjali is a very interesting person. Like, um, I I know that uh, what I know that some people have looked into her background, and it seems like she is being honest, at least about her professional credentials. That there hasn't been 
I know some people have called them into question, but no one's really found a smoking gun against that against what she said. And some people have found corroborating evidence. So um, she definitely has at least worked for the government in some capacity. And and just having seen her speak in person, she's very she's very easy to listen to. Like she seems like a very nice person. Like if you just ran into her at a cafe and made small talk with her, she wouldn't strike you as somebody weird or strange. You would just seem like a very nice mom lady. Uh, <laughs> so like I if think... I saw her at a cafe and said, hey, would you like to go to my house and see an alien like that? <laughs> I'm sorry. It was just too close. I was right there. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. But um, but yeah, like she, she seems like a very approachable person. I think, yeah. but like, but of course, like, just because somebody is nice and just because someone is intelligent doesn't mean that they're necessarily trustworthy. And there are aspects of her story that um, do seem reminiscent of cults and that are, that are concerning, like specifically her talk about how the world is about to become uninhabitable to beings who inhabit these bodies and we are going to have to ascend to a higher density like that sounds yeah. very heaven's gatey it's very concerning to me um she sort of dropped that line at the press conference and then looked out at the reflecting pool and was like oh look the ducks are so pretty and i was like yes they are but like let's go back <laughs> to the apocalyptic let's get stuff. back to a couple like, of, yeah I, let's I, yeah like i feel like like you should say more on that <laughs> man uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> um i also think that uh, her descriptions of what's going on with Wayne are very strange. Like the fact that he and Trisha have only been given pseudonyms and apparently want to remain anonymous and not be involved in this and not have their location revealed. And on the one hand, I, I get wanting your privacy. Yeah. Like that, that's why I'm here in the giant alien eye sunglasses going by <laughs> initials. But like you made contact with aliens and or ETs, aliens is not PC anymore. I apologize. Uh, I will post my notes app apology on Twitter uh, later, and hopefully you won't cancel me. But he, but no, he made contact. Not. But he. Made we like you more and more by the minute. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. But he made contact with ETs. They told him to drill into the mountain to find their base. Um, mm -hmm. This this man um, single-handedly excavated a mountain in order to find these aliens. Um, he brought in a random lady he met at a cafe to meet them, who was then told that a new era is beginning because the world is about to end. And he's like, I want to be anonymous because my wife and I want to keep living a private life. Like, man, that ship has sailed. Like, <laughs> you're like, this is the most, it, like, if this is true, this is the most significant event of our lifetimes, at least, if not all of human history. And like, you're worried about people talking about you on the internet. Like, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, and then Anjali had her post today where she sort of was heading off people wanting to find 
the mountain on Wayne's property on their own and just sort of posted a thread talking about how like Wayne values his privacy. Um, and also he is um, very well off and he has armed guards outside of his <laughs> place and he lives in the in a mountain in the middle of the desert. Cat. <laughs> oh, she's so pretty. But um but but yeah, um and it it just sounds very strange and to the point where I feel like even if Anjali brought back definitive proof of the aliens on this trip and like it turned out that aspect of her story was 100% legit. I would wonder if she's not being completely truthful on the Wayne thing. Like, I would wonder if Wayne is sort of an alternate explanation for a much more powerful and resourced benefactor than you would expect from just like one guy who lives out in the desert with his wife um lampy i'm willing to go quid pro quo i mean if she produces the aliens i'm okay if wayne if yeah wayne no. like you know and it could be wayne anybody you know i mean i'm mm -hmm. okay with it maybe it it's could be the return of wayne newton for all i care if she produces <laughs> yeah no that's that's totally fair, but yeah. Maybe like, it's Batman, guys. Could be Bruce Wayne. I mean, Lampy's got a high standard. Not only does she want to see four fully fleshed aliens, one of them being an eight-foot-tall lavender-skinned mantis, but she also wants to know Wayne's identity or this whole thing is a farce. Well, no, but I do think that, like, I don't know. I That bothers you. There's something about, you know, what's interesting is, that is that actually is an interesting point, right, Nathan? That bothers her. Yeah. About Wayne. No, I, I get it. I mean, it, there are a lot of points in this story that are uh, head scratching, to say the least, I think. Um, at the same time, since we've never had a alien reveal before, we have no benchmark by which to judge what it would look, look like. So, yeah. you know, th this is sort of where. I think, um, you know, we're all going to struggle, right? It's like we don't mm -hmm. have anything to really judge this against no. other mm -hmm. than other than uh, the uh, the number of instances in human history where mm -hmm. individuals or groups of individuals have made similar proclamations uh, mm -hmm. that have ended up being just complete bogus. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, what I don't know if... Um, why I'm having this thought right now, but when I, one of the earlier books that I read when I started getting into this topic was uh, John Keel's Operation Trojan Horse, which I highly recommend. If you haven't read it, you've got to read it. It's excellent. And what, what Keel does, he, he goes through several different uh, sort of accounts throughout history and talks about some of the similarities uh, the, of the, the, those accounts. And, and Jacques Vallée does this as well in uh, Passport to, to Magonia. Talks about all these sort of different stories. And they're very strange, you know. They're very strange uh, instances where people have encounters with, you know, beings. And they tell people about it. Nobody believes them. The beings are weird. They do weird things. That none of it really may, may, makes a lot of sense. So you have, you're kind of left going like, okay, like, was this a real thing that happened? Was this a made-up story? And if it was real and nothing came of it, what was the point of that, right? So Keel kind of gets at this uh, narrative that there's a trickster component to the phenomenon that mm -hmm. uh, likes to 
play with and, and you know, toy with humanity mm -hmm. in a way. Um, and so I think there it's a very real possibility that this her experience could have been real and mm -hmm. uh, and very real to her. Uh, and when this expedition goes to wherever it may be, that none of it's there. Right. Mm -hmm. But it could still be very real. So it may have been something that is designed uh, its whole its whole purpose is designed to uh, create a, a controversy and, and have mm -hmm. something kind of collapse in on uh, on itself for mm -hmm. reasons I don't understand. But it, there seems to be precedent for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am. Um, I've definitely seen people talk about that possibility that she's not lying and she's not crazy, but that whatever she had contact with is not something that can be trusted. And mm -hmm. if that happens, I think I would, I think that we'll have to see what her reaction is because if she comes forward and is like, I, I believed this, I was misled. Um, I, and just sort of owns that, then I would hope people are kind to her and that she doesn't, that it doesn't ruin her life to have yeah. came come forward and given her real name. I would hope that if if she isn't able to produce the evidence, but she still holds herself out as sort of being the conduit leading us to a new era that people would call her out on that. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, either way, I think that she has promised she's going to go back by the end of the year. And I am hoping that one way or another, this controversy is going to be resolved by then. Like either, either mm -hmm. she like pulls through, um, takes a selfie with the lavender mantis, and <laughs> like we're all gonna have to buy her drinks, or um, she says like uh, I was tricked and I was wrong, and I'm sorry for having. Um, led you on this wild goose chase or or she um, isn't able to produce everything and doubles down and says mm -hmm. well actually the real aliens were the friends we made along the way also <laughs> by my book and right. um, pe <laughs> and people like see that for what it is and stop listening to her but either way I like those are the three options I think are on the table. And I think mm. no matter what happens, it's going to be over quickly enough that I don't think it's worth damaging relationships permanently. Like I Absolutely don't, not. even if you disagree with someone on this, even if you think someone is being a huge jerk about this, like I, yeah. I, I think that a lot of people who normally see eye to eye on this subject are sort of being driven apart by this controversy like there are people who are themselves experiencers who don't believe her because her story doesn't ring true to them or they right. think it's too similar to other claims that have turned out to have been made for abusive reasons and there are some people who are not usually into woo but are like like don't be mean to her she's she'll produce it or she won't so I, right. I don't think that the normal lines of argument on UFO Twitter are necessarily the same ones being drawn here. And so I don't think it's worth severing ties with someone you've been friends with over this one very unusual event. 
Yeah. I've got I've got three things uh, I want to ask you about. Well, first thing, the first thing is a proclamation. I have volunteered to go, so I just want to say that Nathan, make <laughs> sure you take my make sure you take my last name off of that thing and just leave DJ. <laughs> I don't want to be on anyone. I I volunteered to go uh, with you, Anjali. So I just want to say that's where that's where I'm at, home girl, and I'll provide security for you too. Okay. Uh, now I'm definitely, she's not going to let me go. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I was going to ask you, um, first of all, before I ask you, I didn't know that other experiences hers didn't believe her, but well, I want to, I mean, yeah, like, like there's some that do and there's some that don't like, it's okay. just like very, very wide opinions on her. Lots of people. The most common one I think is the most common opinion I think I've seen is people who just sort of want to wait and see what she produces. I think I've seen very few people who are a hundred percent on board right now. Mm -hmm. um, but I have, I've seen at least a couple of people who were supportive of her who have since shifted because they feel like the way she's conducted herself on social media hasn't inspired a lot of confidence. Mm. Um, but I don't think, yeah, but I, I, I kind of yield to, to Nathan with that. Like there's, and he and I had this discussion. I think the day I just the the day that you introduced me to Anjali because I was mm -hmm. unaware of her. Um, I said, you know, it was a, it, I wasn't that day, but it's a few days later. I said, I don't think there's a way to tell this story and not sound. If this hat, let's just say that, can we agree amongst the triumvirate that that sits here, <laughs> where Caesar, Pompey, Magnus, whatever, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Mark Antony, <laughs> mm -hmm. if if this is this within the realm of possibility? Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, yes. Anything's possible. Okay. So if it's within the realm of possibility, I submit to you off of Nathan, the back of what Nathan said, there's no way to present this story to a person mm -hmm. whom you don't know personally. Mm -hmm. So not your daughter, her husband, whatever, where it's not going to sound absolutely crazy. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is there a way? Where women I mean, sound absolutely nuts. I think the only yeah, there are degrees of crazy, I suppose, but the only way that <laughs> right. Yeah. So okay. so it's sort of yeah. like a it's almost like a court case in in a sense. Mm -hmm. Like the more evidence that you could provide, the the more likely that it would be a real thing, right? So right now mm -hmm. we only have uh, hearsay testimony. You know, we don't have any sort of tangible evidence of any kind other than her testimony, mm -hmm. and so if she were to come back and say, well, I actually, I have a, you know, here's the, here's the full name and address of the, of Wayne and, and Trish or whatever, you know, here's where I went. Here's how it, here's, you can see it's adjacent to the mountain. You can, mm -hmm. th that would be something that would add another layer of credibility to the story. Um, I do think it's interesting that she has family who have, it, it, they have not been vocally uh, as far as I can tell. And I, I have only recently also heard that she had a daughter on Twitter, but I haven't heard of any instance where they are coming out in 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 opposition to her story. Mm -hmm. So that brings another layer of credibility to it, that mm -hmm. if she has shared this, she's put herself out there, she's put her family name out there. Mm -hmm. If they haven't come forward and said, you know, we really need to take care of, of <laughs> Anjali here, you know, yeah. I mean, um, I I mean, I don't think I would come forward. Like, even if I didn't 
believe the story. Like, I don't think I'd spontaneously go on Twitter and be like, guys, my mom is nuts. Like, <laughs> I think I would just well, I guess stay out of that entirely. I, I think it depends, though, in the sense that... Um you know, what, what, what is at stake, I suppose. Right. You know, I think you have to answer that, that question. If, if it's just the disappointment of some Twitter people, you know, maybe that's not a big deal and, and you're right. It's not worth, you know, kind of putting yourself out there, but if it's more than that, if it's somebody who, uh, you know, is, is making literal plans this year to do X, Y, Z based on mm -hmm. the imminent disclosure of whatever mm -hmm. it is, you know, they're spending money on it. They're mm -hmm. changing their will and testament to, <laughs> you know, to, to whatever's going to happen that they think will happen. You know, there, there are all these things that, that, that people will do. And so, mm -hmm. you know, what responsibility do you have to those people uh, to to prevent them from making those large decisions if you happen to have knowledge that it's a fraud, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, she I, I'd, ha I'd have to wrestle with that. Yeah. She obviously, you know, I mean, in her mind, this, this, this happened. I mean, uh, so, I mean, there's no doubt in her mind, but what I was going to ask Lampy regarding experiencers is if you think that somebody sees a being, because for example, like, Terry Loveless describes a being that looks very similar to the mm -hmm. being that, that Anjali described. I'm sure you've mm -hmm. read different accounts. Mm -hmm. Do you find that that one could be causal than the other that somebody, mm -hmm. if, if something, and I'm not saying this is necessarily applies to Anjali or any, mm -hmm. but there are several people who said they've seen mantises. Mm -hmm. um, do you believe that, that if this is something that, you, is happening within your mind, making it very real that you're getting it from somebody else. You think that's possible? Yeah, like it's very difficult because like, like you said, a lot of accounts report beings that look very similar, like mantises, um, tall whites, grays, like those are the three I remember her mentioning mm -hmm. in her press conference and those are three very common things to report. And it's like, is everyone reporting this because these are the aliens that exist or is are they reporting this because they're riffing off each other and i mm -hmm. don't think that there's an easy way to answer this question without more evidence um i will say that um for me i don't think there's a way to report an experience like anjali claims that doesn't sound crazy like even if it happened but i do think there's room to scrutinize sort of the way she conducts herself after the experience. So for example, like the way she talks to people on Twitter and Reddit, sort of the way she like plans the event, because one thing I keep coming back to is mm -hmm. that if this is true, it is extremely important. Like it is the most important thing that is going on in the world right now because it has consequences for all of humanity and she's and she's saying that she's going to have this expedition and that she is committed to doing that and she posts um she posts affirmations that she's channeling from the beings allegedly but mm -hmm. i don't get the sense of urgency that I think this situation would merit. And I think that she is, I think she's overly invested in worrying about 
really trivial stuff. Like I saw that she unblocked everyone that she blocked and I respect that. I, um, mm -hmm. but up until that point, she was getting increasingly frazzled, um, lashing out at people on Twitter and on Reddit, um, even like banning people from her subreddit for like stuff that was fairly minor in terms of questioning mm -hmm. her. And, and on the one hand, I get that she's under a lot of scrutiny and some people mm -hmm. have been very mean in the way that they've criticized her. Like I've seen people make, um, make comments like accusing her of, um, faking needing a wheelchair, which I don't think is ever appropriate to mm -hmm. accuse someone of. I've seen people like make comments like, like, oh, like, oh, she's so, oh, like, oh, she's hot. Too bad she's crazy. Like, like, don't, mm -hmm. like, don't be sexist guys. Like, what would your mother think? Mm -hmm. But, um, but at the same time, like you're, you met, aliens you are currently channeling them like they have chosen you to lead us into our ascension to a higher density and you are worried about people being mean to you on the internet like i mean <laughs> the last time somebody had revelations of this significance they got crucified and you're upset because somebody with 200 followers on twitter and an x-files profile picture is saying unkind things about you like i i think that i don't know i feel like if i can't say what i would do in this situation obviously because it's so beyond anything that anyone's like confirmed to have experienced but i think yeah. that i would expect her to be so singularly focused on this history changing event and not getting bogged down in internet drama, not dragging her feet on and building the team, just sort of like mm -hmm. getting out there, um, getting these extraterrestrials to like come to the press conference with her and announce their intentions to the world and like hit the ground running on what we need to do to ascend to our higher density before mm -hmm. we are all SOL. Like, like, come right. on. <laughs> and I, I want to say, I want to say that uh, the first part of that story that I found problematic is what you did is about the excavation of the tunnel. I don't know if she asked him specifically, did someone from your company come out and help you do this? Mm -hmm. I don't see why it would be unreasonable that he couldn't have had people that work from him come out and help him make mm -hmm. that tunnel. I, I would find that problematic that one man could make that if she was walking through a tunnel for five to 10 minutes. And of course, mm -hmm. if this happened, I mean, your, your sense of time is going to be very skewed mm -hmm. at that moment. You know, you're not going to know how long you were in that tunnel. I mean, it could have sure. been mm -hmm. a minute. It could have been five minutes, you know, mm -hmm. for all, but I agree with you that I found that mm -hmm. problematic, but, that may not have been something that she drilled down on with him. You get it? <laughs> Excavation <laughs> metaphor. Sorry. Mm -hmm. um, so I, <laughs> I, see what you I actually there. asked her at the press conference um, mm -hmm. a question about Wayne because uh, I was curious how he had gotten in touch with the ETs because he, mm -hmm. her story is that like he saw the UFO, he was curious about it, he went out every night to try and contact it, and then 
eventually the occupants of the UFO told him like, we're in the mountain, go dig to the center of the mountain. And so I asked her like how he established contact with them. Like, did he do something to make the first move or did they just reach out to him via conscious contact like she describes? And Mm. she said that she, and she told me that she hadn't um, really discussed in depth those questions with him like she was just sort of like she heard the story it was immediately eager to go to the mountain which i understand that but i yeah. don't really get <laughs> why they didn't talk more about it after they got back from the mountain and she's also indicated that she hasn't been in touch with him for a long time at this point which also seems very strange like mm-hmm. this seems like being two of the only people who know about extraterrestrials having a presence on earth seems like the sort of experience that creates a bond that you don't <laughs> just like <laughs> just go away so right yeah um completely you uh, ask yeah. great questions man i'm sorry go ahead Nathan. <laughs> i mean no I, lo- I love that i love that analysis um you know and for me and, and dj will tell you this like i this story for me is the the importance of this story isn't about Anjali. It's about experiencers generally. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's how how does the community that is already willing to uh, accept a lot of things in, in this mm-hmm. subject that most in the general public may not be willing to accept, how mm-hmm. does this community uh, accept experiencer testimony uh, mm-hmm. and, and what are the, what, what are the checklist of things that the community needs to see in order for, for us to say, mm-hmm. yeah, this is a credible, uh, person. I, I, I trust this person's experience, like a la Whit- Whitley Strieber or Travis Walton or other big name experiencers who, mm-hmm. who have recounted whatever it is, you know, what gives those experiences and stories credibility against this particular story you know so i think we needed we need we need a conversation about this type of criteria mm-hmm. because going forward uh it's possible that uh there will be more stories like this and so do we you know to to what extent do we give airtime uh or tweet mm-hmm. time or whatever it is uh to the next story uh and spend energy and effort kind of following it, dissecting it, whatever it is, uh, as opposed to letting it just kind of come and go and wash over us, you know, as a community. And, you know, we're weighing this against, you know, the government disclosure component. So I said, we have a chat, you know, in the, on the, on the live stream, I'll put it up here from Gabriel. So, Hey, Gabriel, you know, he's saying, he's saying that, you know, she's running interference against the government, disclosure narrative so the kind of a competing thing but you know i would argue that the experiencer stories are always mm-hmm. running some kind of counter mm-hmm. uh narrative to uh state truth you know mm-hmm. so uh you know how do we weigh the, the those two things in, in the community how do you weigh them you know how do you weigh government lou elizondo stuff mm-hmm. against experiencer stuff you know is elizondo more more important uh, or, or are they equally important? And how do you make that decision? Um, honestly, I don't think that I've ever really thought about it in terms of like who's more important. Like, 
I will say that I don't see it as a competition. I think that some people on UFO Twitter who are on more the nuts and bolts government disclosure side tend to, not all of them, but some of them tend to be concerned about platforming experiencers too much because they are concerned about harming the credibility of this topic with the mainstream. And I mm -hmm. don't think that we should think of it that way. First of all, like despite what may have been the original intentions of the hashtag, I genuinely do not think there is anyone on UFO Twitter who is not already interested in this topic. Like this is not the platform that we use to reach out to the normies. This is mm -hmm, people right. who are already interested in UFOs, UAPs talking to each other. Like you may not like that that's the state of things, but that is the state of things. So I don't sure. think there's any reason to censor ourselves in terms of what we discuss. Um, and also I think that when we talk about Anjali, we shouldn't conflate her too much with the average experiencer, because I think that some people see the way that she has been treated on social media and react very negatively, not because they support her, but because they don't want to see experiencers broadly treated badly and mm -hmm. like treated like they have ulterior motives or they're lying or they're crazy or whatever. Right. But I think that Anjali's story is very different than someone who just says i saw something or i was contacted telepathically under these circumstances like she is specifically claiming mm -hmm. that she is currently channeling these beings that she has been chosen to be their mouthpiece as we go forward and do what we must to survive as a species. And that is when you put yourself out as a leader, you have more responsibility to the community than if you're just saying, talking about something that happened to you. And, sure. and also like, she's, she's not like just some like teenager or some housewife who had an experience like she, worked in it she worked in military intelligence like she's DIA, like so. yeah like she's she's not um like she she can handle herself like what right. she like i don't think we need to worry i don't think that we need to assume that treating her with scrutiny and treating the average experiencer with kindness and open-mindedness mind are mutually exclusive things mm -hmm. wow a heavy-handed, yeah, leather-bound <laughs> Lampy. <laughs> toughen up, Anjali. That's what Lampy's trying to say. Butter, toughen up, Buttercup. Yeah, All right. great, <laughs> great analysis no, there. And it, and you know what is what was cool about that is you weren't saying what you expect somebody else is expecting you to say or trying to meet a certain standard you are coming through as this is authentically how I feel about this and I'm going to say it and I don't <laughs> care what anybody thinks about it. And I respect that. I really do. Um, that was great. Um, let's talk about your book, home girl. Let's go. <laughs> Nathan, right, take, well, my take my name off there. I don't want people uh, to know no, I'm going with Anjali. I'm going to get, you'll have to edit it. 
it's too late. All right, go I ahead. Can, I can do it. I can do it. Oh yeah. Well, girl. um, so I finished the like well, first of all, like it it's a very like lighthearted, like sci-fi adventure book. Like it's not like a serious mm -hmm. literary examination of the of alien abductions or anything. It's just a girl who gets abducted by aliens and goes on adventures and um and it's it's fun, I hope. But uh, I finished the rough draft uh, back in June. Um, I started mm -hmm. uh, revising it a couple weeks ago, and I'm currently working on that. And uh, hoping to have my first round of revisions done by the end of this month. I'm, then I'm going to send the draft to some some more friends, and then I'm going to revise some more, and hoping to be done done by the end of this year. And then after that, I'm going to start querying it. Like I, I'm hoping that. Like I'm gonna try to get it traditionally published, but like if mm -hmm. that doesn't work out, I'll reevaluate. But yeah, it's just it's been fun. That's awesome. Are you an experiencer? I am not. No, I okay. just I I got into this topic when I was eight or nine years old because uh, uh, I was with my mom at her boyfriend's house and they watched Signs and I watched it with them and it was super <laughs> creepy and interesting. And then I um and then someone gave me a book about uh. UFOs and aliens that I read, and so that was my introduction to the topic. I am I am not an experiencer. Never seen one like outside. No, okay, okay, <laughs> that's awesome. And Nathan has, so I'm the only one that's seen one. You have, up. yeah, <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> He's kind of so, a big deal. Yeah, I'm a big deal now. Um, <laughs> mine was so brief. Like you know, we were discussing it on the big phone home the other day, and Luis. His experience was minutes long, like much. Mine was seconds, you know, uh, and so many people from where, you know, and I'm actually feel validated because so many people from the Hudson Valley saw UFOs. Uh, and so, but I didn't know that for not talking about it for 30 years or 40 years, whatever the hell it was. So uh, I'm 54. So, you know, I was 14 when it happened. Um, anyway, <laughs> all right. Um so what is, oh, let me just ask you the title of your book before we uh, wrap up here. The working oh. title is A Lift Out of Town, which um, nice. it's like, I'm amazed that I have a title. Normally titling things is like the hardest part of writing for me, but, <laughs> but that's my title right now. Um, it could change, but that, that is the title as far as we're concerned. Awesome. I know, I know, I know one person who's buying it. Did you have anything else you wanted to hit on before we go, Lampy? Uh, no, I think we pretty much covered everything. Like we went over on Julie again. We talked about sort of the state of UFO Twitter. Um, anything else y'all want to say? Nathan, do you have anything? I'm good, man. This has been a, a great chat with you. Appreciate you taking time out to speak with us on, on such short notice at that. Uh, oh, it was great. I had so much fun. Thank you for inviting me. I yeah, loved welcome it. back anytime. Yeah, definitely. You're welcome to come back. If you want to talk about something, you see something that you want to bring up. Um, I love to share the platform, which is how, you know, Nathan got on it. I'm, I'm happy to, you know, Dan Warren's been on a couple of times. Luis Menes has been on a couple of times. Andy McGrillen's been on at least two or three times. So, you know, uh, I'm all about it. Uh, and I really appreciate it. Again, I, I want to thank you for your authenticity because it was, I think it was very obvious to Nathan and I, when it, your passions were aroused about specific <laughs> aspects, no, and you know what? That that's great. I mean, that's that's what it's all about. I mean, it's all about 
uh, connecting with people and being able to tell what you feel and how you feel. You guys saw me do it about Mick West a little while ago, you know, and you did it, you know, and, and so that's what it's really all about. And I'm, I'm so happy that we were able to be here and experience that with you. I really mean that. Okay. Thank you. It was great to be here. Thank yeah, you, girlfriend. Awesome. We're going to do it again. We got to do a uh, another one of those Twitter spaces. I actually sounded professional on there. You know, I actually sounded like I knew what I was talking about <laughs> for you a do, change. Man. You so do. It was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward it to the was, next one for sure. It was cool. Party people. We are calling all beings. That is S.A. at Lampy 1947, the same year uh, the Air Force was born and the same year of Roswell. Air Force <laughs> birthday is coming up in a couple of months. That is Nathan at a wave soul on Twitter. Uh, one of my latest blessings in life over the last couple of months has been Nathan uh, joining and agreeing to be my uh, podcast partner and putting so much work into this. Uh, we'll bring you more guests. Who knows who we're going to have on next, man? I, you know, I really want Lieutenant Tim McMillan. There's so many people I want to have on and none of them are the same. So there yeah, you go. Love that. <laughs> yep. It's a big All family. Right. It is. So for Lambie1947, for Nathan at A Wave Soul, I am DJ saying peace out, one love, and we'll see you down the road.